I think in maybe it was 2002, four, well, four is when we really, but we had a conversation yeah. in 2002 that both blew our minds. Mm -hmm. And uh, now they have elders and they have worship that, for me, I'll just tell you my personal story that the Renovatus Church, for the first time in my life, became my center of worship. And you think that sounds a little weird? But it was the place for me that was a thin place between me and God. And they have been so faithful in that work. And that's what they're going to share with us. Because starting a, a church and being a minister, uh, serving in the kingdom of God, it, it takes deep level commitment. And that's what you're going to hear today. Deep level commitment. <coughs> My name is Stan Gramberg. I direct Cairo's church planting ministry. And uh, we've worked with churches across the country in various stages, and it is a challenging and absolutely energizing uh, type of work to be involved in. Let me pray for us. Fathers, we start, uh, start this week. Uh, we've gotten up early. We've seen your son and your creation. Uh, we've seen your smile upon us. And Father, we want to accept that into our lives accept your grace and accept your favor and today uh, may we be encouraged and lifted up before you through kevin and brenda and the story of their life that they're going to share with us in jesus name amen, amen. thank you stan 41 years since 1978 brenda and i have been doing ministry together I guess we started before that, but we've been getting paid for it for 41 years. Um, 27 years of that in youth ministry. I thought I was going to be the uh, ministry's oldest youth minister. I thought I was going to be in a wheelchair out on the volleyball court. And then God changed the rules and said, let me give you one more thing to think about. And that remarkable conversation with Stan and Gina, all four of us started going, God could be doing an, a new thing here. Um, our story is messy and broken, and I have in my notes the word uncharacteristic. We have some bizarre twists and turns that we'll be sharing with you this morning, but, um, but I think maybe our story is not as uncharacteristic as I think it is, or as I would prefer. Scripture is filled with story after story of, of ministry people that are um, in messy stories. Uh, Jesus' ministry is filled with brokenness, and pain, and poverty, and tragedy, and betrayal, and, and those were not things that were in spite of his ministry. Those items became the heart of his ministry. <clears throat> I think we read scriptures with a bias. Psalm 126, for example, we hear these words. Where the Lord brought us back, his exiles into Jerusalem, it was, it was like a dream. 
we were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other, <clears throat> the other nation says, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. Rejoy, uh, what joy we have. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renewed in the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seeds, but they sing as they return with the harvest. We read Psalm 26 and we hear joy and laughter and songs and words like amazing and restored fortunes. But we miss the idea of streams in a desert and seeds sown in tears. We overlook the weeping that's mentioned in the same passage. As a matter of fact, we sort of avoid lament because we don't know what to do with the hard stuff. And so we quickly move through those psalms to get to the rejoicing and the party stuff because who isn't comfortable with, with a party? So we started a church. Our opening moment was in September of 2005. Renovatus is the oldest of the Kairos church plants. And ours is a story of beauty from ashes. Treasures found in the darkness. Life out of death. Ours is a hard story. But I want for us to begin with this thought. Wait, that's his story. That life from death is the norm that is set for us. We absolutely rely on the fact that life came from death. And frankly, our ministries not just often reflect that, I think they're supposed to. Because our story is his story, and that makes this our story, our collective story. This is the story that we are telling together. It's what we've been called into. And so this notion that we need to avoid the pain hasn't served us well. <laughs> Brenda's going to share with you some details. Let's pray one more time. God, we pray for open and tender hearts. We ask that you grace us with your presence and allow your Holy Spirit to comfort us. And we trust, God, that you're going to speak in this, in this room today. And we will be attentive, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to share a little bit about the ashes part of the story. We're all wounded, and we all have stories of loss and sorrow, which actually ushers in the possibility of being made new. I love that part. But it's a messy business, renovation. Renovation is so messy. Where I nanny, um, they've been, they were renovating all the bathrooms. Dust was everywhere. And um, many problems were discovered as they ripped everything out. It got real messy and it was undone for a long time. It really isn't like on HGTV where through laughter and community and an hour 
there's a street of dreams home or a parade of homes home. But I've come to feel bonded to the chrysalis or the cocoon because they go through total renovation, completely undone, liquefied. <clears throat> Ashes, darkness. That's been our journey, journey as we planted a church named Renovatus, Latin for renovation. We're wishing now we would have called it Beautiful Life Church or something else. Like um, a church full of light and not dark, something beautiful like that, but we didn't. But God has met us there in the messy, liquidy dark of tragedy and loss. We are convinced that God does not bring the devastation and pain. No, we live in a broken, messy world. But he is indeed present through it all. God with us, Emmanuel. I'm going to give you a window into the level of dark. I'm going to try and be as present as possible as I share. Some will be difficult to hear, but what we're telling you is difficult to say, too. And we have much to share beyond what we walked through. So I'm just going to dive in. In September of 2004, we, together with a launch team of 12, including Stan and Gina, <clears throat> um, and our son Ryan and his wife Jessica, began a journey of discovery and stretching of planting the Kairos first church plant. In October of that, in our second month of the Renovatus pre-launch year, my mom mysteriously died. The truth of what happened to her still to this day is a mystery and hidden from reality. So that began a dark journey of discovery of truths about my childhood experience <clears throat> that had previously been buried deep due to trauma and threat. I began therapy to try and unravel all that was being revealed, and I began a journey into a dark abyss. I knew I had almost no memory of childhood, but I began to discover why. I was diagnosed with a severe dissociative disorder, and so began many years and years of memory work and grief work. You know, I have grown to Grief has become sacred to me, as grief actually validates and extends compassion to our pain. Grief and lament are the path to healing, because ungrieved story holds us hostage and spills our pain onto everyone around us and all those we love. I, um, last week, Richard Rohr said, God hides in the depths and is not seen as long as we stay on the surface of anything. I love that. Well, as I gave permission to my body and mind to tell the stories, my memory began to wake up and reveal some of my story. So there I was, working on reaching out to neighbors, beginning home community groups, creating a new DNA for this fledgling church. Create, working with my husband and team, and yet I weekly found myself sitting in my therapist's office, holding artwork I had done that validated the fact that I experienced ritual abuse, which included animals. 
complex sexual abuse. And being put in cages. And then I left my therapist's office and went to staff meeting to work on planning the Easter service or on the next community event. As I take a deep belly breath at this moment, I invite you to do the same. What that does is make us present to one another. My body felt literally heavy with trying to hold these truths and to try and walk through my reality as I went through my days, trying to be present and interact with my world. The result of that level of trauma and how I survived emotionally was my complex ability to dissociate and put away all the terror that was happening to me and to live as if none of it was happening. That survival skill saved me as a child. So the journey of the last 15 years has been one of waking up, one of learning to be present, not missing my life. Unfortunately, with all that dissociation, all of it's so tucked, so much is tucked away. <clears throat> but through this time of remembering and subsequently walking through my trauma consciously for the first time, was an encouragement from my therapist to focus on extreme self-care. Extreme self-care and church planning. Those, is that an oxymoron? Is that what you would call it? I don't, um, <laughs> she said, do less. Um, practice yoga, get a massage. Mind you, we didn't have any money. We were <laughs> starting a church. <laughs> uh, get a pedicure, be still, rest, journal, do therapeutic art grieve. We were trying to get a baby church off the ground. God, how do you do less? A few years ago, an older friend actually validated that I did do less, surprisingly. She said, I used to think you were a recluse. Validating and yet holding the two sides, the push within me to keep doing more, and mind you, it wasn't just about church planting. Perhaps my, my um, survival technique of trying to be so busy to keep ahead of my story so that it wouldn't catch up with me. I wouldn't have to feel it. There's those remnants of that. <clears throat> and then the desperate need, the other side of that is the desperate need to honor my story, to honor my body and my heart. Um, and to grieve all that I survived and all that I lost. Our bodies are amazing and how they hold our pain for us until we're ready and willing to consciously walk through it and grieve all that's happened and all that we endured. I think our bodies deserve much kindness and compassion. We are truly amazingly made. When Renovatus was six years old, our son, Ryan, and wife, Jessica, part of our lunch team, had just perfectly been sent to the other side of Vancouver, where they were beginning a new ministry, Grassroots Conspiracy, teaching people to love people where they work, live, and play. Ryan was just finishing up his master's at Rochester College, while I was in the darkest abyss of my new tragic memories. I was sure life could not get any darker. And then Ryan discovered he had a brain tumor in his spine. 
cancer at 28 years old. Church planners themselves, partners, dear friends, our child. And we walked as best we could with Ryan and Jessica and Jones in India through his final 17 months. An even deeper grief would be our constant companion. For several days before Ryan died, our kids gathered along with several dear friends. And we all took turns sleeping on couches and sitting with Ryan, ministering meds and sips of water until he wasn't able. Four-year-old India was Ryan's constant companion as she sat on his bed with him and colored and sang to him, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my daddy you'll be. On his final morning, Jess, Kevin, Jen, and I surrounded him as he sunk deeper into the in-between worlds, where he isn't here, but he isn't there either. I held his feet as they were cramping from lack of oxygen, and we watched and listened as his breath filled with liquid and more time between each breath. And we spoke tender messages of thanks for how he had blessed us all and that it was okay now to let go. He did everything he could to prepare Jess and the kids with all the physical things they would need after he was gone, but no one can prepare for the loss of a best friend and a daddy. And Ryan died. Again, another belly breath would be really good right now. But the trauma of that day was not over. That evening, while Jess and Ben, Jen, and close friends grieving what had just happened, all hung out at a local pub. Ben Reese, our son-in-law, began experiencing intense abdominal pain. He was at the hospital by evening, and as we all prepared for a funeral, Ben fought for his life for 22 days in the hospital. Surgery would clean out infection and eventually save his life. The level of trauma we all carried is, has no words. A gift Ryan left us with six years of blogs that bring tears and laughter as I read. You can read those at grassrootsconspiracy.com. We have some handouts that will have that information on it for you. Um, <clears throat> Ryan and Jess's story was the first last day story to be told by Soul Pancake by Justin Baldoni and Rain Wilson. You can check on YouTube for some amazing videos. And we have that site as well. <laughs> Sorrow has been our home address for 15 years. While we started a church and tried to lead with severe limp. And although we discovered that sorrow and joy are closest of companions. So often in community we allow people to grieve for a few months. But then we need them to be done. We need them to be happy again. We need them to work. We were asked with heads nodding, are you doing better? The implication is they need us to be better, all done grieving. And I get that with a church trying to follow, and we're in the dark. 
But we need to remember that laughing doesn't mean that sorrow is gone. Sorrow is my precious companion that will walk with me the rest of my days. But her sister Joy is close beside. Because as I dwelled in the dark of the cocoon, I chose to be fully there and to turn toward suffering. I was able to also see the beauty around me. I, I think um, grief can end up being beauty goggles or binoculars sometimes. I guess because after extreme loss, your, eye, your vision changes and you can see differently. And there's beauty that, that comes up from the dark that you didn't see before. And joy began to well up, not replacing sorrow, but holding her hand. I want to share a little bit. That was the recording that just landed on the floor. That imagery of the caterpillar transforming into a cocoon to become the beautiful butterfly has been uh, a beautiful part of the expression. Brenda's got that tattooed on her arm. But it's a little bit disconcerting because I didn't realize the process. And the process is this. The cocoon is spun or woven or created around that caterpillar and during that time of process, the caterpillar is not transformed into the butterfly quickly and easily. As a matter of fact, it's absolutely reduced to soup, to a lovely goo inside that chrysalis. And we feel reduced. It has been a remarkable journey to discover, oh, that's where we found God. We had always, for years, we'd walked in relationship with him and knew him intimately, but this was something different. So we want to share with you some of the treasures in the dark. As a matter of fact, that's the name of Brenda's blog. You need to read some of her remarkable words. Who in all of this journey would have guessed, including me, that she would become a writer, but uh, she will move you to think some thoughts that you have not discovered. She's always laughed and said, she was one of those kids in school that plagiarized everything she ever wrote, found, it, found comfort in other people's words and whatnot, but never relied on herself. And, and then God said, let me give you one more thing to think about. We want to share with you some of the things that we have learned in the darkness. And, and even saying these words, I'm cautious here. Because those folks that Brenda talked about that say, are you good? Are you doing okay? Are you better now? That are saying, we need for you to be better. We need for you. Just tell us you're happy. It was more about their comfort than what they were asking about us. We really do live in a place where we need for you to tell us about your victories and what's going good and 
let's leave the past in the past. Or if we talk about the past, let's make sure that we are separated from that past. And we really do disservice to our grief and to our heart. So, so we're speaking to you in the darkness of the cocoon that we live in. It's not that we haven't found joy. It's that we realize they really are sisters. I'm going to speak more within the context of, of what we've learned in the darkness concerning service and ministry. Brenda will share with you what we've learned within our hearts and within our family system. First, I would remind you, well, we learned it's a journey. It really is a journey that we're still learning, that it's always been process. Our culture, and frankly, especially our culture in the Churches of Christ is, we're much more comfortable with black and white thinking, black and white language. Inside, outside, arrived, not arrived, here and there, we're really specific. But that black and white thinking prevents us from being present. It's not about destination, it's about process and journey. At the Renovatus Church, we sort of stumbled into that kind of thinking. We weren't horribly deliberate when we said we need to talk about journey as people take next steps in their spiritual walk. But frankly, that has served us well because that's how God takes us along from one thing to the next. In the darkness, we learn to embrace truth. That is, we're telling ourselves, this is where we are. This is the truth about what's going on here. We're not sugarcoating. We're not tippy-toeing around. We're just letting things be as they are. Our ministry focus at the Renovatus Church has been intentional. That is, when I first left youth ministry, I went to the Vancouver Church of Christ leaders, and I asked them, help me start a church that's for people that don't do church. There's people all over Clark County, Washington, that love God, but they're creeped out about churches, and they'll never step through a church doorway. So help us start a church that's in a safe place, like a school, or a gymnasium, or a neighborhood center. Our context has always been people that were really blunt because they don't know how to tippy-toe around. They weren't raised in a church, and so, blah, they just spit out the truth. Oh. And ironically, or strategically, God has made sure that one of the things that we've learned in the darkness is that embrace of truth is a beautiful gift from him. Denial, at its best, slows us down and distracts us from what is real. At its worst, it is toxic. It is a poison that will stain the system or bring about its, its impending death. Denial will require us to embrace deceptions. Like, how are you doing? I'm fine. And it's the four-letter F word that should never be spoken among Jesus' people. We need to speak the truth. Denial will require us to 
to germinate isolation. Because it's denial that causes us to, to act pretty and do nice things and l allow everything to be <clears throat> cosmetic and on the surface. And so people will sit in a worship hour and look around and think they've all got their, their acts together. Their lives are, are peaceful and there's harmony in this room, but I don't fit and I don't belong. And there they are in the company of believers, but they feel more and more isolated. We embrace the truth. We've learned to pursue God in the darkness, not in the midst of darkness, not as we journey through the darkness, but we've discovered that there is a process that happens only in the darkness. We found God because of the darkness. He has always called his people out into the desert places, and we avoid deserts like crazy. But he's wooed his people into the desert. It's, it's frequently the story of the Old Testament. It's not just about slaves being called into freedom. Prophet after prophet is the voice of God wooing his bride into the desert. Judaism has managed over the years to maintain lament as part of their thinking and part of their process, and we typically have chose to, to ignore it. But even in the goo that is inside that chrysalis, there's life in the cocoon. It's rarely what we guessed, but it's there. In the darkness, we discovered that God doesn't need me to be on top of my game. That's been such a blessing. Leadership comes out of strength, and leadership comes out of weakness. As a matter of fact, if we can live honestly broken lives, he's honored through that. <clears throat> He doesn't need Kevin to be capable. He needs Kevin to be available. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is this. If God can speak through Balaam's jackass, <laughs> he can speak through me. He doesn't need, to me, need me to be clever, to be on top, to be in charge, to be filled with Remarkable godly wisdom at every moment. Humility and brokenness are a death blow to pride. And my friends, we have done ministry out of pride for far too long. We've learned this truth. I can be effective as a leader only as far as I've gone. That is, that is, transform people, transform people. I've got to allow myself to be renewed and changed. I've got to embrace whatever trial he takes me through because he's faithful and I don't have to have it all figured out. I can lead others because I'm being led. I haven't got it figured out. So 
when you can allow yourself to be healed, it's not just talk about healing. It's not just healing that once took place in my past, but as Henry Nouwen describes it, I now become a wounded healer. And finally in the darkness, he taught me about honest leadership. I'm no longer the source of, of the answers, but I can candidly and visibly wrestle with those that I'm leading. It's okay for me to hurt. As a matter of fact, I've loved and delighted in every church I've ever worked for and worked with. But Renovatus was the place where God allowed me to be in a community of believers that I knew that if there was a Sunday evening when five minutes before I'm supposed to stand and speak the words of God, if I needed to say, I can't do this, it's not in me, it not only would have been okay, the assumption would be, okay, I wonder what God's going to do tonight. And there would be anticipation that this was also going to be a part of the bigger picture. We are broken, flawed, like Moses and David and Peter, remarkably ordinary. And we are inviting others to be a part of that process. We are inviting others into pain and grief, not just because we need companions, but because there's beauty and joy found there. Inviting others into pain is not weakness. That's called faith. Brenda? I just want to share a few more treasures that we found. So for me, my faith <clears throat> was built on my own creation of God and my own interpretation of the Bible. I found God in the midst of my childhood abuse and terror when I was 14. I needed a rescuer. So I began to create the God I needed. I love that God that I made. I actually still really miss him. <laughs> I do. Um, he was my constant companion. And I clung to the verses that would serve me and bless me and fit my worldview that I created. But after Ryan died, in the midst of my darkest days of remembering my trauma, the God I created crumbled. Here I was, still leading a church, and I didn't know what to do with the Bible anymore, <clears throat> or what to say to the God that I didn't understand anymore. Now what? My God world I built disintegrated, and I was starting over. I was officially in the cocoon, and my carefully built faith was liquid. Sumant Kid shares, I felt I had been dropped into an abyss of unknowing, into a stark confrontation of my own pain and wound. The darkness seemed to encircle me on every side. At times I felt abandoned and afraid inside its roundness. At other times the darkness felt strangely nurturing, swollen with mystery of becoming. 
I wondered if this was what one encountered at the heart of the chrysalis. And Tim Farrington shares, the dark night of the soul is an experience of being stripped of all the spiritual feelings and concepts with which we are accustomed to propping up our inner lives. It's a plunge into the abyss of radical unknowingness. This spiritual crisis is a call for celebration because it's only when we get out of our own way that the divine can take over and fill us with love. But it's a grueling process to come to this level of surrender. So I found, and I think God had been speaking this to me all along, that my daily goal is letting go. Um, Most of the mystics have talked about grief being the doorway to joy and presence. In fact, I'm convinced that many of the richest treasures are actually hidden in the dark, in the ashes, in our grief. The blog that I began, Kevin mentioned that I began last year called Treasures in the Dark. Um, My hope for this blog is exploring how to hold the parts of our stories while also sifting through and receiving some of the beautiful treasures that are hidden there, treasures which give us hope. Um, I started making these little ceramic cocoons and on the handout there, I don't know if you can read it, it's typed so small, but there's a little paper I typed up that I want to give, have it available to give to someone with a cocoon of hope that, yeah, you're in the dark, but things are happening. It's beauty that's happening now. So don't despair, have hope. Um, And then my tattoo, as Kevin mentioned, um, is the journey of of the caterpillar to the chrysalis and the butterfly. And I think we travel that journey several times in our lives, um, but it's a, a reminder to me. Um, the combination of ministry and loss requires extreme self-care, as I mentioned, which is really tricky when you're in ministry, as all of us, most of us know. For us, for me, uh, for us, one of the things was to find a coffee shop because um, at home, the to-do list was so long. Being in a church plant, our office was at home. Being a church plant, yeah, there was so much to do at home. I had to get away. So I found a coffee shop where I could, unfortunately, you know, community starts to develop. So, (laughs) and so actually I changed coffee shops. (laughs) It was beautiful and I realized that was a beautiful blessing, but it was like my, my time of focus was then I was starting resenting all these people that I was in community with, so that was, that was awkward. So, um, so I went to another coffee shop, and I actually go back and forth between two Paneras. Oh, yeah, it's tricky. Um, but um, my goal for each morning for the last at least 10 of the 15 years, maybe more, um, I thought I was, there was one point I thought I was going to lose my mind when we were planting, and I was in this abyss. I just, this was before Ryan was sick. I just really thought I was gonna lose it. And I found that if in the morning I got to my coffee shop, got a cheap brewed cup of coffee, and, um, and I could write where I have seen God in the last 24 hours. Not a gratitude list that gets filled with guilt because I forgot to put someone's name down. Not one of those lists. 
a list of just where I've seen light, where I've seen God in the last 24 hours. Because if he isn't here now in this moment, mm -hmm. he isn't anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He is here. So, and I titled in uh, Gerald May's book, The Awakened Heart, he calls the list Reminders of Love. And that's what my list is called each morning, Reminders of Love. <clears throat> um, I also discovered contemplation. And um, it became my path to surrender, my path to letting go, allowing God to access every cell of my body. I had spent my whole life trying to transform myself. I, I mean, I read the Bible and journaled and tried to do all the things, trying to transform myself, and I couldn't reach in far enough. You know, those cells that are carrying the wounds of a child, I can't touch those. I can't reach far enough. There's not enough therapy to reach far enough. But when I'm in contemplation, when I take 10 to 20 minutes each day to sit, to give my ego a break, consciously ego, this is your time off. You don't have to figure anything out for 20 minutes, and boy, is it a fight. <laughs> oh, man. And, and just let go. And any thoughts that come through my head, let them go. Let them go. It's amazing because I can be, and I, I think it's helpful to choose a, a phrase to speak over and over to redirect your mind. Um, and I've um, sometimes doing some deep breathing, um, speaking God's name, Yahweh, as we breathe. But also, I courageously, compassionately let go. And I speak that over and over because it's courage to let go, to think I can let go and I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to let my mind and my ego keep trying to figure out everything and to keep trying to transform me and make me new. I can't. I've tried it for a lot of years. And, um, but I courageously, compassionately, compassion to me to let go. Richard Rohr says, it feels like nothing and it ends up being everything. And I am convinced. I also found my tears. My children can say they saw me cry five times when they're growing up. Everything was locked down. Everything was locked down. Tears now are soothing, healing gifts that I treasure. So presence is probably one of the biggest gifts of my journey, of being able to be here now, to feel, to be present. Grieving, lament, surrender, contemplation have been my past presence. Learning to grieve what each day brings is daily we encounter wounds, misunderstandings, betrayals, every day. And if we don't grieve those as they come up, and, not, and that doesn't mean ignoring them, it means feeling it, giving it to God, letting it go, not just ignoring it, walking through it, they build up. And we get, my age, we can get bitter, cynical, it's challenging. But if we can daily let go, 
we don't end up build, they don't end up building up, and also, hallelujah, we don't pass them on to the people we love. Hmm. So grief, lament, contemplation, and surrender are the paths. Presence, compassion, grace, mercy, and love are the gifts. We resisted having a tidy conclusion. Because <laughs> my training is, you end with a clever joke, and everybody says, and there's the, there's the wrap-up right there. So what do you need to say? Do you have a story that you need to share? Or do you have a question for Brenda or for I? Observation, what was important to you? How you doing? I got time. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want to, go ahead, Nolan. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, Brenda's my buddy, but we're different. And her coffee shop is excellent. <laughs> it really but is a good coffee shop. And it's okay. <clears throat> because um, I would be too busy watching all the busyness of the coffee shop. But she can detach herself from the coffee shop. So Where's your place? I like to just sit at home because I never like to be at home, but now I do. Mm -hmm. And I just sit and be still. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So, you know, as God's people, we're vastly different. Aren't we? Yeah. And, and that's cool. cool. And it's cool. So I just yeah. didn't want everybody to think we had to go to a coffee shop. Because <laughs> I was thinking that for a while. Well, as a matter of fact, something you touched on is, is a reality, and that is maybe you'd be wise to process where you feel least comfortable. Because that could be one of the indicators that, that says, oh, I think this is a warfare place. Um, we tell our children and grandchildren, you need to go outside, you need to, well, sitting with that screen in front of them, that's become the comfort place, that becomes the still place, and maybe you need to pay attention to the things you're avoiding. I don't think you need to go into some bad places, that's not what I'm suggesting. Um, but, but be attentive to what your heart's maybe already signaling. Yes? I'm from the uh, Northwest Seattle area, and um, my friend, uh, I like my coffee, and, uh, but I don't go out. I usually get up around seven, and for about an hour, I have a favorite chair that I sit mm -hmm. in. We have a fireplace, and I just love to be there and just have my own time. Mm -hmm. And my wife is still in the same room, and she's doing her reading, and, uh, we don't communicate very much during that time, but to me, that's a very valuable yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. That you honor each other's face during that time. Yeah. yeah. Brendan and I sat here in this room long before you got here, not talking, <laughs> on, on, on purpose. Thanks, Don. Jean. your journey on a closer basis in some of the rooms. I would say what made it so special for us that were observing your journey is that your openness and your honesty with the mess of your journey made it available to everybody else in the Ubuntu's. And so, 
so often when we go to church, everything is neat and tidy. Everybody has tucked everything away. They're wearing their best clothes and this sort of thing. And not that there's not good in that. There is good in that. But Renovatis has never been that place. The messiness, it's like they do the neat and tidy stuff on the job, and then they come to church at Renovatis, and they deal with the mess that's really there. And your honesty and openness to just be real, to not be at all fake in what was going on in your life, allowed everyone else to be that. And so, whereas we were traveling so much of this, of your journey, we would just come in and out at Renovatus, but we saw God's transformative spirit in the mess, in many lives, not just yours. Mm -hmm. In many, many lives there in that church is that we saw God processing many people. And thank you for your honesty in dealing with your journey because I know you have seen that in the people around you. Yeah. Just yeah. I just wanted to tell people that Thank you. how Renovatus is so unique in that, but I think it is because of your ability to deal with them. It's been a beautiful thing to see how God has, has taken this chaos and this craziness, and once you have the perspective of some time and some distance, you're kind of going, oh, he was shaping this. He was doing that. Oh, I had no idea. I have to say, though, chaos is not my favorite place. <laughs> yeah, you should try it. It's awesome. And worshiping chaos. We're trying, you know, I mean, I keep thinking, I was talking to Kevin just this week. Okay, he does all things well, right? Oh, being in this mess and do it well. I don't know. I still don't know what that looks like. I don't like. know what that means. But, um, but it's messy and, and uh, it's, it's tricky. It's complicated when you have a lot of messes. Yeah, Mara? 